Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to Is This It? I'm your host, Dana Grinberger, and I'm here to have meaningful conversations with talented and purpose-driven people to discover what mindset allowed them to overcome their greatest challenges and achieve success and share it with you so you can do the same. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining my exclusive Patreon community to support the show and unlock bonus content. Thank you to everyone that's already become a patron and a special thanks to Abdul Rahman, who's joined the producer rank. On today's episode, Swish Goswami, author, speaker, angel investor, and CEO and co-founder of Surf, a tech company rewarding consumers for their data. When people quit their nine to five job, they're like, I hate a nine to five job. And they don't realize in entrepreneurship, it's like a nine to nine job. <laughs> it's not the like the private jets, bottle service, Lamborghinis. I mean, you're sitting with a ton of doubts, anxieties, fears of things not potentially working, but you're chugging along because you have a vision for what you think the world should be. And you're excited to live in that world. I think iteration is the most important form of innovation. If you're not iterating, you're not innovating. And if your best idea came at the very beginning of your company's life cycle, it's probably not a very good idea. Just a little bit of intro for the audience. Mm -hmm. You're 25? I'm 25, yeah. 25. I know. And you're already a founder and a CEO mm -hmm. of your company, Surf. Mm -hmm. You have your own angel fund. You're an author of a best-selling book, yeah. a four times TEDx speaker. Mm -hmm. You have been awarded the startup Canada's Young Entrepreneur of the Year and UN's Outstanding Youth Leadership Awards. And I'm keeping it short. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, how do you organize your time yeah. in order to be productive and mm -hmm. to get so much done? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on typically in my life just around business or speaking. I mean, I'm in Europe right now for a racing podcast that we're shooting, whether it's investing, whatever it is. I really feel like the team that I have in each one of these opportunities is what allows me to like move around. So with Surf now, we're a team of about 28 full-time people. I have a co-founder. I have an executive team. These are people who they're the best at what they do. And they allow me to do what I do best, which is fundraising, top-line management, and probably a lot of hiring as well, like more culture fit interviews, like second, third round interviews, late stage. But I still like being a part of every hire that we make even now. And then on the speaking side, I have a bureau. On the writing side, there's a publishing company called Kogan Page in London. Like there's a team always mm. behind everything, which means I can just focus on really doing what I do best, whether it's the writing or the speaking on stage and everything else around booking, publishing, getting all like licensing deals figured out or whatever, they manage that. Mm. Obviously with my input, because I'm passionate about it, but I don't have the time obviously to get on every call or book every flight and all of that. Mm. Yeah. So how do you delegate the important decisions? I typically do like to find people at each of these companies, like whether it's my speakers bureau or whether it's within my company surf, I try to find like who is the domain expert within that particular field that could make the right decision. There are times where I pull the trigger as well. If I feel a certain way, I will just make a quick decision and move on. But like typically if you know it's a product related decision, I'll go to like my CTO, Andrew. He's in his mid forties now, way more experienced than I would probably ever be in my life. But at the same time, he's the best person to make any product decision with my input. So I'll come to him saying, I think we should do this. What do you think? He'll make the final decision and I trust him. And that's been hard though. I wasn't like always built like this. I growing up always felt like, again, I was the center of the universe. I had the smartest ideas. I was always like the person that had to make the final decision. And that's a very egotistical way to live. I think growing up, I realized trusting people for what you hired them to do is an incredible way to manage a team. How do you let go of that? It's tough. It's still very tough. I kid you not. It's not like, you know, you just wake up and are like, I'm just going to let go of mm -hmm. all my pressures and passions. That is it some sort of mistakes along the line? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. you have people who leave you. You have people who are like, you're too hard to work for. I've definitely had that. And even during the pandemic where we had to work virtually, then you have to figure out an entire different way to work with people because you can't be in a room with them and you can't see what they're working on. Mm -hmm. So that's where you really have to delegate. That's where you really have to be good at over communicating, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's through Slack, email email, text, whatever it is, you need to trust people, but also continue to be present with your communication. So it's a very tough balance, but again, mistakes is pretty much the only way to do it. It's like, even with entrepreneurship, people are like, how do you become an entrepreneur? I'm like, you just build a business, mm. you know? And that's very stupid advice for some people, but I don't think you could go into a college right now and learn how to build a business. I don't, I think you could learn aspects of it, like finance and budgeting and hiring and, you know, programming, but you can't learn actually what it feels like to be an entrepreneur until you fully dive in. So the only way to do it is to do it. Yeah. 
in a lot of life. I would even say with a podcast. Imagine you learned how to be a podcast host in a classroom. I mean, it's great. You might learn one or two tips, but you're going to get better by every podcast you do. Absolutely. Yeah. And this makes me think of all the trainings and mm -hmm. all the courses that are out there. Yep. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for them and 100%. they're important and they're very valuable. Yep. But there's yep. a thin line between just doing a million courses and yep. being stuck in that, okay, I need to know more. Oh, I'm not yet ready. Yep instead of just taking some sort of action that yeah. will then teach you so much quicker. And if anything, I tell people go and try to take like that first step on your own because courses are great to fill a gap, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't know what those gaps are until you come in and are like, okay, I've tried this. I'm really bad at these things. I need to get better at them mm -hmm. and consult people or get a course to help me out. Mm -hmm. Right. Same thing with entrepreneurship. Like I realized being a good entrepreneur and being a good manager, two very different things. You can start an idea. You can have the vision behind it. You could have the greatest idea, but again, being a manager, letting people feel like they're part of a wider team that they're supported, very different. So for me, I felt like growing up, I was really good at coming up with an idea and running with it and being excited about it and working harder than anyone else. But managing people, making them feel valued, making them feel like I trusted them, that was tough. And mm. it took me a couple of years to even figure it out. And again, it's not even like I'm an expert at it now. So now, if you think about it now, would yeah. you just delegate the management to somebody else no. altogether? No. Or would you no, want no, no, to no. become a good manager? I want to be a good manager. You got to learn the hard way. And candidly, like it's always the next step, right? If you want to build a big company, which I do, I don't just want to start a company and then let go of it and then move on. And then, I mean, people do that. It's no problem with it. But for me, like my dream is ring the bell, go mm. public with a company. And to go public, I mean, I'm probably going to have a manager team of 50, 100, 150, 200, whatever it is. I want to be present. I am not a CEO who I'll give you my priorities for the week and then just buzz right. off. You go do it. and I don't check in with you. I do try to check in with people. But again, there's a balance there. I don't also want to like overmanage you, hmm. you know, and like, what are you no doing? No micromanagement. There? No, it's the worst. <laughs> and nobody wants to work for someone like that. And I've learned that again, the hard way. But now I'll check in with you more to be like, hey, it's been a week. How are things going? Like, I'll give you a deadline. Is there anything I can do to help? And that's like the number one way to be a good manager is to think that when you have employees, they're not working for you, you're working for them. Mm. That is the mentality you need to have when you build a team. How many people do you have working for you? 28 people full-time now on Surf. And then again, mm. obviously the podcast, we have a team of seven, whether it's on the speaking side, there's a whole bureau, I think of like 40 people now at Speaker Spotlight, incredible people. So I'm like really just meeting a lot of people every day, mm. typically is what my day I was going to ask yeah. you, what is your secret to create this mm -hmm. positive, engaged, mm -hmm. productive environment where yeah. the employees feel like, you know, mm -hmm. they belong? Yes. I've done that two ways. One is I am very good at just going up to somebody and thanking them when they don't necessarily feel like they need to be thanked. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm very good at proactively basically going up to somebody and saying, great job. And I do that randomly. Like I don't just do it for like the big tasks. I do it even for like, if you sent a really good email that I'm like, damn, this like was really worded well. Great job, Jacob. Mm. For example, Jacob's one of our influencer marketing managers and he'll loop me in once in a while. And if I see that he's done a great job, I'll just slack him or even send him a voice note. I love voice notes. They're way more personal. So that's one. And then secondly, we've actually built a culture in our team where every three weeks we do a hopes and fear session. So we come together. It used to be called a paranoia session. Then it got taken out. I don't think that name was that great. But the hopes and fears session is basically where every person in the company, whether you're an intern or an executive or a VP or whatever, you come together and you share your hopes and your fears. Three hopes, one fear. Is it right? all work related? It could be even personal. Mm. During COVID, we had people talking about like, I'm becoming socially awkward. I haven't talked to somebody in a while and I'm like stuck in an apartment with really no windows. That was some of our employees and I felt so bad, but I also started to build a connection that was a bit more personal with my employees to kind of empathize with them. And really like we do things like retreats, take extra days off if need be. Like we're a very chill team when it comes to even mental health. Like if you need a mental health day, we're like, go take it. There's no scrutiny. There's no like, oh, but he got one and I didn't get one. That, that never happens. So we're very chill that way. Again, all we require though is like, you're honest with us. Mm. Like you're upfront and honest with us. I don't like people who fake illnesses or, you know, like they're like, I have a sick day, but I'm like, wait, on your story, looks like you're partying <laughs> like you're, last yeah. night. <laughs> yeah, like what happened? I don't like that. But again, if you're just honest with us, we will support you in the same way you support us. Mm. Yeah. You touched upon entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Could you bust some myths for us that oh, people have? So many. I mean, A, people think that when people quit their nine to five job, they're like, I hate a nine to five job. And they don't realize in entrepreneurship, it's like a nine to nine job. Like <laughs> so it's like you're quitting a nine to five job. Right. And so that's one thing is like, it's not glamorous. It's not the like the private jets, bottle service, Lamborghinis. I mean, 
so many people get sold into courses based on that. And it's just not true for the most part, at least not in my life. So I think entrepreneurship is a lot more about you're sitting with a ton of doubts, anxieties, fears of things not potentially working, but you're chugging along because you have a vision for what you think the world should be. And you're excited to live in that world. And it might take five years to get there. It might take 10 years to get there. It might come next month if you're lucky, but that's what pushes you and drives you during the really tough days. And most of the tough days, which I would say are like 28 out of 30 days, you're on your laptop. And a lot of times as an entrepreneur, if you're the one starting the company, a lot of those anxieties and doubts, you're dealing with them on your own because mm. there are other people who couldn't maybe understand your vantage point, or maybe you don't even want to share it with your employees because you don't want them to get paranoid and scared. So a lot of it is lonely because of the thoughts in your head that you really cannot articulate well to other people, even to your like parents that might not be entrepreneurs, your brother, your sister. If they don't live in that world, it's very tough for them to empathize with what you might be going through. Because again, being an entrepreneur is a very different lifestyle. It's a nine to nine lifestyle. I've had a hard time even disconnecting in the past. I've gotten a lot better at it. But I kid you not, I mean, this week, I think I felt anxious like twice coming to London because I'm here different time zone now than my entire team. I mean, I'm technically on vacation for two weeks and I haven't taken a vacation in two years. And I felt really weird taking a vacation. This after is something very worthwhile mentioning. Again, yeah. about what people think entrepreneurship yes. is like one big vacation. Oh, I'm doing the restaurants. No, doing, no. no. No, two no, years you haven't no, gone anywhere. No, two years I haven't gone on vacation. I started the company four and a half years ago with my co-founder. I've grown up with this company. Like I was 20 years old when I started it, or I guess 20 and a half, but <laughs> quick math. But I think with all of those challenges, there are also some incredible things that you can get. And yes, financial benefits are a thing. But again, most companies don't work out. I think there's a stat of like less than 1% of companies started every year fail after three years. So the odds are stacked against you. I love that you mentioned the vision. Mm -hmm. I have the saying that I absolutely love, which is pain pushes you until yeah. vision pulls you. Yes, I love that. Love that. Mantra. So true. We should put that in a cup. We will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but definitely, if people get into this thing, into yeah. entrepreneurship with the wrong reasons in mind, mm -hmm. that likelihood of being in the percentile where you fail is very, very high. And, and if you come in with the wrong reasons, you're going to hire the wrong people too. Mm. Because you're going to be looking for that lifestyle, which is not true. And then you're going to be lat like leeching on to people who are selling you on that lifestyle as well and encouraging you into that lifestyle and just doesn't work out. Doesn't yeah, selling work out. you the what you want, basically. 100%. Like You don't also want yes men, right? And like if you you have people who are hired because they're like, yeah, I think Doug is a great entrepreneur. You know, he's always like on a private jet. He loves getting bottles. And he told us that we could one day get there. So that's why we're working for this company. That's like the worst incentive to ever join a company is like for the glamorous financial. And you see those startup. real examples. A hundred percent. Wow. And they blow up in people's faces. And then they're like, what happened? And it's like, well, they just had the wrong cultural identity. Like the people at Surf, I genuinely think we hire them because they actually believe in the world we want to leave behind. Mm. They believe that people should be compensated for their that, data. Though? How do you see? How do you gauge that the person? In an interview, it's very hard. I ask questions like, where do you see yourself in three to five years? Not because it's a trick question, but because I actually want to see if people even say surf. Like if people are, oh, I want to write a book and I want to like start my own company. It's like, great, but you might not be a good fit for us. We're looking mm -hmm. for people who are going to make surf their life's work. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they say that in an interview, great. They obviously have to back it up then. So like the interview, you'll get a shot. And then if we're seeing like, hey, you're actually like doing way too much outside and it's taking away from the work we've hired you for, then that's problematic. Mm. But if you're like dedicating yourself, if you're taking the initiative to come up with ideas and even go beyond your role, like a lot of people who've done well at our company have gone beyond their role. They've been in product, but they've been encouraging like the marketing team to do something or they provided ideas in yeah. Slack on a call. I love that. That shows to me that you're actually dedicated to the overall vision. That your mind's in it. Yeah. yeah. And your heart's in it as well. Yeah. yeah. I think you have this unwavering positivity and self-belief which I think is a big key in mm -hmm. you being able to achieve what you have so far mm -hmm. and I was going to ask you whether you have those days when you feel the imposter syndrome when yeah. you feel that <laughs> doubt in yourself and yeah. everything and obviously we just discussed yep. that earlier so yep. clearly you do oh yeah how do you deal with that get over it in the sense of I think everybody should feel imposter syndrome at some point because it means that you care that's why being nervous before anything, it means that you actually care about what you're about to do. In imposter syndrome, though, I think the one thing people like need to realize about entrepreneurship is nobody is built for it. No one is built to be an entrepreneur. I don't believe people are born as entrepreneurs either. I think what people are born as is curious people. 
everybody normally if you're a baby you're curious about the world you are because it's so foreign to you curiosity is what drives me and as long as that becomes like a core integral part of my dna as i grow older i know i will always be an entrepreneur at heart because that is the seed for entrepreneurship if you're not curious about the world the problems that exist in it the solutions that potentially could address those problems you will not be a good entrepreneur so that's why for imposter syndrome, I might not be the best programmer. I might not be the best manager. I might not be the best salesperson, but it doesn't matter because for me, I'm very curious. I know I work really hard. And when I take those two things together, it builds a resilience that I don't think many people have. And that's my unique trait that I have. I think there might be a missing piece that you're yep. omitting, which yep. is courage and bravery. Yeah, to jump into something. Because a lot of yeah. people can work. They yeah, can work true, hard. True. And they might even be curious, yeah. but they're afraid. A hundred percent. And I mean, that's where like, obviously me dropping out of college as well, like doing that after second year. I mean, I come from an immigrant family. My mom is a master's degree. My dad has a PhD. My brother is graduated top of his law school and is now a lawyer in Toronto. All very academic. No entrepreneurs in my family ever existed before <laughs> me. So I was definitely nervous, but I felt in my heart that if I didn't do it, I would regret it. I'm also, by the way, speaking from a little bit of privilege because I could afford to do it as well. When I went to college, my parents paid my way through college. When I moved to New York, though, they told me that you have one year to be financially independent. If you don't, you need to come back to college. And again, they would cover me. Mm. So it's like a no-lose situation for me. That's why when I tell the story, it's not like I'm encouraging people to drop out because I realized that I was privileged as well to be able to do to that. To have your parents' support. Yep. Yeah. Your entrepreneurial journey started mm -hmm. very early. Yes. Were you six years old? I was 10 <laughs> when I built the hovercraft. I mean, I've just been very curious throughout. I've had a book of ideas. I was listening to another ideas. podcast that you did. Yeah. And you said that at six years old, you started writing you ideas. ideas. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I had a book and it started when I was six. And I still have that book actually in, in Calgary, which is nice. But it's like now a big journal with a bunch of ideas that I scribbled down. A lot of them are so futuristic. I used to watch a lot of movies mm -hmm. and I'd come away with ideas and be like, I think that could be a great product or a great idea. Okay, yeah. let's just pause for one second. Yeah. <laughs> Where is mm -hmm. the flying? Hey guys, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I've started working with my very first sponsor and it's none other than, drumroll, Momo Kombucha. Our own London-based, locally produced, healthy and delicious kombucha that I've been a fan of since I first tried it. For those of you who know me, you know that I'm obsessed with my health, but at the same time, I'm a devout foodie and nothing will make me renounce tasty food and drink. Unfortunately, most delicious drinks are full of sugar and other additives that are not good for your health. This is why I love Momo so much. It's delicious, so it curbs my cravings for snacks and healthy as it contains loads of probiotics that are great for your gut. If you'd like to try it yourself, use the discount code ISTHISIT15 to get a 15% off of your first order. No, I know. I know. I don't have it anymore. I sold it, which was nice. We built it when I was 10 and sold it to a classmate. And with the money that we got, I think it was like probably 150, 200 bucks. I was able to put that towards the Nintendo DS. And that was probably the best purchase I made. It was when the new Super Mario Bros. came out. <laughs> Age of Empires came out on the DS. And I was like blown away. It was my first gaming console as well. And the fact that like I had bought it meant that my parents were like, fine, whatever, like mm. use it. But otherwise they were very like strict on me, not really gaming much. <laughs> if you look back from where you are now to yep. your entrepreneurial journey, yep. what were the crucial points yep. that really helped you to be where you are now? In high school, so this would be like when I was 16, 17, I joined a program called Junior Achievement. Mm. And that was really cool because we built a custom lapel pins company. It was called Tracy's Pins. The founder was Tracy kind of interesting now that I think about it but I was a VP at this company it's like a bunch of students come together and they build a company for six months and you sell and then whatever and that was really cool because I got to dip my toes into entrepreneurship in a more controlled environment mm -hmm. learn a lot about what it took to run a business Tracy was actually like a repeat founder in that program so she taught me a lot as well which was great and that was I think a good inflection point because up till that point I had ideas but I never actually thought that you could be an entrepreneur unless you came from like a lot of money which like again I came from a well-to-do family but I didn't come from a rich family for sure. And then I also thought being an entrepreneur meant that you had to first again, have a lot of capital. So like I had to be a lawyer first, work like 10 years, and then I could start my company. So like once I built this very small project in Calgary under this program, junior achievement in high school, I started thinking like, mm, entrepreneurship could actually be a full-time career that I pursue now in high school or in college or after college. But like, I don't have to wait 10 years when I'm in my thirties to build a business. I think it's so important to have these sort of checkpoints in your mm -hmm. life of environments that encourage you yeah. and show you that things can be done. Yeah. 
So I guess we don't have enough of those to be fair. No, no, we don't. We mm. need more of those. I mean, that's also where having idols helps, right? Like for me, I, a lot of my idols are people who they're not even in entrepreneurship. They just are in other fields, but they didn't come from that field in the sense of like they didn't have parents that were like musicians or they didn't really even play a piano growing up, but then they became a producer or a DJ. Like I love my friend Jonah just signed to Martin Garrix's label, Stamped. Wow. And Jonah does not come from a music background. He actually only started DJing during the pandemic at house parties in the sense of like a house parties pandemic but like <laughs> shouldn't be doing that but like at the same time i mean it's like a covid party whatever mm. like eight people i don't want to expose them yeah jonah was djing at these parties and people were like damn you're really good at this and then he was like hey you know what? i'm gonna pick up a hobby and he started producing music after which people eventually get into when they dj and martin really liked his music and he just signed to stamped and released actually a single yesterday today called shakes which i love and i love stories like that people who like found a hobby they went all into it because they cared about it they didn't come from that background at all they figured it out and again they saw the success from just their commitment to pursuing it to the highest level possible Mm. yeah i think that level of obsessed pursuit yeah and craftsmanship that you develop only can come from real passion and interest it really can you can't fake it you can't fake it i mean you could fake it but then you'll just you know that's where the imposter syndrome will really take you down you won't be able to get over no fulfillment in that no fulfillment in it you'll burn out because you're faking your life essentially exactly like after one year you'll question like do i actually want to do this and like you will get other opportunities typically smart people just get other opportunities right Mm. so if you're smart enough to go and fake it you might as well actually do it legit and pick a project that you actually are passionate about Mm. yeah definitely agree yeah a little bit off topic but mm-hmm. are you familiar with 80 20 rule is that the Pareto principle yes yes i am so in that case what is the 20 percent of <laughs> things that you do that are accountable yeah. for 80 percent of your success and career mm, i think number one probably how organized i am on my calendar especially every day before going to bed i look at the next day and i prepare it and a lot of people don't do that a lot of people like they clock out and they go to dinner they drink whatever and then they it wake is. up the next day and they're not ready Exactly. They wake up the next day, they're like inbox is full. They're like, oh my God, A, I don't even know what to do. B, I have this inbox full. I mean, that's just thinking about it gives me anxiety. But mm. <laughs> I need, before I go to bed, to look at my calendar and plan out a little bit of my day. Again, I don't have to plan out the entire thing. I'm not, I don't want to be like an obsessive freak, but like I need to know what is my priority for the next day? What do I really want to get done? And typically before, when I was like 20, 21, I'd be like, I have to do five things. Now I'm like, let's just figure out the one big thing I need to accomplish tomorrow. And if I get that done, I will go to bed with a big smile on my face. Swish, you have literally touched upon my (laughs) Achilles heel right now these days. So I've been doing this since for a couple of, I've been really hard with with myself Mm -hmm. to make sure that every morning and every evening Mm -hmm. I write a rundown of what's happened, what didn't happen, what could be better. And it helps. It's like building this chain every night that you actually do, won't say journaling, but you write this review or whatever the day happened. Exactly. It's like putting another link in that chain. And so basically you have a track record and each morning you open your diary and you know exactly what you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. And that just gives you that sense of, clarity yeah clarity and organization is also great because you come in more confident like i come into calls now being like you know i feel confident prepped you know like i walk in and the energy that you give off when you're not like scrambling to get things done Mm. at the start of a call or at the start of a meeting it's very different so i love that and then i think the other thing too that i do is, is i typically try as much as possible to get at least one physical workout in a day like I don't lift crazy weights or anything for me like running has always been like my number one passion when it comes to working out but like yeah whether it's going to the gym playing tennis playing basketball whatever it is get a sweat in and it feels so good like you feel like you're treating your body the way it should be treated you're letting kind of your energy replenish I think that's great so I never really again used to prioritize that growing up I think it was more like two three years ago I've become like very obsessed about one physical activity a day 30 minutes at least and it's paid off to do like wonders for me big subscriber to that yeah yeah (laughs) couldn't agree more yeah i want to ask you Mm -hmm. what was the one moment in your life that really changed your life forever something so profound i think in october of 2021 i went through my first kind of like anxiety attack but like it wasn't like maybe that extreme it was pretty extreme but like i ended up in the emergency yeah panic attack i think that's yeah thank you that was the word i was looking for yeah panic attack and i went to the emergency in toronto i had actually a trip booked to costa rica and orlando after so i did costa rica which was really fun and then orlando i had another panic attack on a flight 
which is like the worst place to have a panic attack because mm-hmm. I was like on the runway looking around. Oh no, I'm going to be trapped in this moving thing in the air for like two hours. And I didn't feel comfortable. I was like ready to put my hand up and just tell the attendant like I need to disembark. So that was really profound because it made me realize like a lot of the way I was living my life around the expectations I had for myself, the stress and pressure I was adding to myself. It was like stuff that I'm like, you need to get this done now at this age. Five things a day to do instead of one. Five things, you know, not working out, not eating right, not sleeping well. Like these things were catching up to me. And that was when I think I just hit like the hard reset button. Instead of doing it, which I'd done before when I burnt out, I actually like took a month off. I literally took a whole month off. I did not like do work. Like phone switched off? Not phone entirely switched off. My mom would kill me, but <laughs> <laughs> she needs to talk to me like at least once a day. And I think that's always nice to just have that communication with her. But otherwise, like, yeah, like work-wise, email-wise, just switch off entirely. And it was great. I picked up a lot of new hobbies, picked up a lot of new habits, everything I've been talking about now. I mean, I really only figured this out like a year and a half, two years ago. And it was incredible that changed my life entirely and it's made me actually more creative more curious even about the world because like my mind is so free of i don't know this like perception that i had to have everything figured out Mm -hmm. by like 25 when i don't i'm very happy with that i'm very content even to say today like if there was a button right here that would tell me like at 30 35 40 here's like everything you're going to be doing and accomplishing i wouldn't click that button Because like part of the beauty of life is the mystery behind it. The fact Mm. we don't know what next year could hold for us. This podcast that I'm doing in Europe, we only came up with it six months ago. I didn't come up with it two years ago. I love that spontaneity and being able to just take an opportunity, assess it, run with it. I love that. It makes Mm. life beautiful. So I'm very content now just lying back (laughs) and letting life flow through me as opposed to having to like control every aspect of it. Oh, definitely. And I love how it's those moments Mm -hmm. that where our body actually shows us that we're not, you know, (laughs) what's going on, buddy? (laughs) Exactly. There's a bit of like error, like error, like, but it's amazing because we have these mechanisms that kind of check us when we're off beast a little bit. And I think that's wonderful. So there's often this like bad connotation to a disease. Like you Mm -hmm. get sick and you get upset that you get sick. You're like very unhappy. And you beat yourself up and you get even more sick. Exactly. As opposed to just like, okay, I got sick. I accept it. Let's move on. It's right? you have to be grateful for it yeah, because yeah. it's your body yeah. showing you that something is not working. Right. Their attention needs to be brought to that area. Yep. And if you don't, if you keep ignoring it, it's going to get worse. It's a wonderful yeah. reminder. Me- yeah, yeah. Mechanism. Yeah, like yeah, your yeah. body is literally trying to help you. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this is another type of thing about mindset that we mm-hmm. need to think about, like yep. reframe how yep. we're looking at things. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned as well is when you took that month off, mm-hmm. I imagine you got so much inspiration Oh. and you just get so creative. But people sometimes they work for two years without a vacation, which is good, which is fine. You yep. know that things need yep. to be done. But yep. at the same time, how much more productive, how much more creative, how many more million dollar ideas would you have for if sure. you actually took that time off? 100%. And I think that's why for me also, like I probably should have picked up on it earlier, but I realized that Christmas break, I always used to come into the new year rejuvenated. Because again, you have those two to three weeks off, time off, right? And so I'm like, why can't I do that more often now? Let me take a Christmas break every four months, five months, if I'm able to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, timing is everything. And again, like for me over the last two years, even though like I might not have taken a vacation, I definitely did take a Friday off. I definitely felt like I was balancing work a lot better versus again, like even before October of 2021, I don't think I took a vacation since I started the company. Before I went to Costa Rica, I never took a vacation unless again, it was a Christmas holiday, which is like everybody's on vacation but i never actually took a vacation during the work hours and that was something that i wish i'd done it's incredible do you manage because i imagine you would have some sort of like work trips sometimes mm-hmm. i don't know meeting clients, yeah meeting yeah sponsors. speaking especially too. can you yeah. combine a bit of off can. time there you can i mean this is like a good example i think like being in europe now for a month i'm taking two weeks off work i'm doing the podcast which i don't really see as work it's just fun and i'm here like with some of my best friends and I'm obviously going to start working again. And when I work, I'm going to be on different hours, which is a little bit stressful at times because I'm working at like 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. because I'm eight hours ahead. But at the same time, it gives me my morning off. It gives me my afternoon off. And so I can maximize that a bit to like go and tour around, sleep in if I need to, blah, blah, blah. So there's pros and cons, but 100%. I think when I speak, when I travel, there are ways to make it work where you can also kind of take a two, three day vacation. But again, with vacation, by the way, you don't even need to go anywhere. Even just like turn off your laptop and like don't go on your phone that often take a week off and just chill at home Mm -hmm. read a couple books play chess watch videos whatever it is watch movies like that could be a vacation it doesn't need to be in like a tropical place or a place like london or anything like that Mm. 
I like that. Yeah. I like that. As long as it's something that you're doing for yourself and you're intentional about it, yeah. that's all it takes. And it disconnects you from that part of your life. So it allows you to explore everything else around you, mm-hmm. which I love. That's where, again, even my passion for music now, which I've been actively now producing for like the last three months. And again, this is still very much of a hobby for me. I love it because like when I think of a putting together a drum kit, let's say on my laptop, I can't think of anything else. Like I want to get it right. I want to make it sound right. And I'd love stuff like that that just allows me to not have to like multitask like 14 different things in my head, which is what I typically do at Surf. Mm-hmm. I have like three things that I'm working on all at once because somebody's messaging me. I have an email I have to respond to and I have to do something. So it's a little bit tougher to be able to like get siloed work time unless I'm blocking off my calendar, which is a really good piece of advice, by the way. Always set, you know, even like a time in your calendar where you're like heads down work. Mm. Don't let anyone book a call on top of that. But otherwise, like when it comes to music, diving, go-karting, whatever it is, stuff like that, which I'm really passionate about, it really does allow me to fully focus on it without thinking about anything else. Mm. So therapeutic in a way. Very therapeutic. Even doing the dishes, candidly. Like, because I want (laughs) to nail the dishes. I don't want to drop the plate and ruin it. I find small therapeutic things in my everyday life. And I love that. Well, that's the thing. As long as you do something with your hands, yep. it is therapeutic. Like it it's is. known to be that. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So dishes, vacuuming, <laughs> I don't even know, like mime. I feel like you need to give some speeches to mm-hmm. uh, parents and their little kids. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all of a sudden, there's going to yeah. be a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. dishwashing at home. <laughs> yeah. So you touched about surf mm-hmm. a little bit. Walk me through the journey of how did that idea come about mm-hmm. and what were the most challenging parts so far in building it and making it a success? We have done pretty much everything in the company in the sense of like at the start of the company back in 2019, we had a very clear vision of like we wanted to help brands and influencers find who their top fans on social media were. The company actually wasn't even called Surf. It was called TrueFan. That's what it was called before. I had built an Instagram account that had gone pretty viral before. It was at Dunk on Instagram with my co-founder, Elliot. We had grown that to about 2.7 million followers. We had a big network of other accounts across Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. How did you do it? What was your strategy? It was like a two-year play. And really what we did is we looked at like SportsCenter and ESPN. And we were like, what type of content could these big accounts not share? And there were like two things. One, they couldn't use curse words <laughs> and they couldn't like use slang, which we knew slang because we were growing up in this like generation that spoke slang to each other. And then B, they really didn't have a, like a lot of ability to share like really cool edits. So like whether it's editing a dunk and adding a really cool new rap like song to it mm-hmm. or whether it's taking a photo and having a sick animation on it. That's the type of content we wanted to share as well. That was very different from what all these traditional sports pages were sharing. So like now actually it's funny because the traditional sports pages are trying to do that. They're becoming more around like video edits and photo edits. And like, Five years later. Yeah, literally, right? <laughs> like captions have like slang in it and stuff. And it's kind of funny to see that. But back in the day, 2016, 2015, not a lot of people were doing that. So it was a refreshing take on what is sports. In terms of the company then with TrueFan, we had started with this idea, let's help brands find who their top fans were. In 2020, we realized that the world is becoming privacy conscious. You have Apple releasing their iOS 14.5 changes that have made it so that every time you download an app on your phone, you need to click I accept to getting tracked and sharing your data. And many people are clicking no, obviously. You have GDPR in Europe, CCPA in California, that's privacy regulation that tells companies that opt-in data is paramount. You need to get data from people with their explicit opt-in. You have cookies going away, third-party cookies Mm -hmm. going away on Chrome, Safari, and Firefox. And that's going to be monumental to companies to understand you outside of their website. They're not going to be able to do that anymore because they can't have a cookie that follows you around the internet. With all of these changes, I realized that companies are going to have a hard time getting opt-in data. Why don't we build a system where we can help them do that? Why don't we build a system where we compensate people for their data directly and then share that anonymized data with companies that want to understand what key audiences are doing on the internet? And so that's something we even came up with in 2020. We released our browser extension in 2021 in beta. We released publicly in 2022. And again, the reason I mentioned this is because it's not like I had this master plan all figured Mm. out when I started the company. We had to listen to customers, figure out where our market was going and adapt accordingly. Mm. Yep, That's really valuable. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that you didn't just five years ago come up with an idea and you've been following it through. So that 
tells me that you have to be really, really flexible. Yeah, flexible. And as you mentioned, you yep. have to speak to your clients. Yes, speak to your clients. Know the market. Get a pulse on your market. Talk to people within it. Know where it's going. I think iteration is the most important form of innovation. So mm. I think if you're not iterating, you're not innovating. And if your best idea came at the very beginning of your company's life cycle, it's probably not a very good idea. Because again, you're not knowledgeable about your space until you actually get into it. Going mm. back to what we said at the very beginning, if you don't do the work, you're not going to know what the work entails. You can only guess. Exactly. So mm. when you start to actually get into it, when you have customers, when you talk to them, that's when your idea becomes refined and more valuable. So in everything you do, sensing a lot of mission, vision, yeah, purpose. Passion, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So what is your purpose? Swish. I don't know. I don't know that yet. I think for me, I know I like making people happy. I like sharing things I know about. Like I'm very unfiltered in that way. Like I don't keep secrets to myself. I like wherever I can help people learn from things that I failed at or things that I learned. I like doing that. I feel very strongly about like leaving a mark on the world in some high level way, making sure that when I die, the legacy that I leave behind isn't even just my name. It's the contribution that I made to society, whether it's a product, whether it's an experience that I gave to people. So that's stuff I know about my purpose. But again, going back to like what I mentioned about having everything figured out, I don't have a pressure right now to figure it out. I just think my passion, purpose, whatever you want to call it, is just forming as I start to get interested in more and more things and get deeper within those things. Thank you very, very much for this. No, the reason why <laughs> why I say thank you is because you're the first guest mm. that actually says this. Right. And I would have expected many more people to respond this way. But it makes a lot of sense to me. It's a journey and you're in constant evolution. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you think that you know what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And that might be that thing for the rest of your life. It yeah. could be. Yeah. Some people are like yeah. that. Yeah. But I feel like for most people, it's an ever-evolving thing. And I think, again, the problem with the world we live in is I think we expect people, especially like I watch a lot of podcasts and I find that guests feel pressured to have it all figured out because they're being interviewed. But like, that's not the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Like I come here and I'll obviously share what I know, but there's also like 99% of the world that I don't know. I'm not a good cook. I don't have a driver's license. Oh, I <laughs> you know? Thank you. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have most of my like life figured out. So I feel very happy to share that. And same thing with purpose and passion. I'm constantly figuring it out. I love that. Yeah. And that really takes off the pressure also from, I think, a lot of listeners yes. in this topic. And basically, this podcast really ties in around this question a lot. And yeah. this is what I'm really curious. And I want to hear people's mm -hmm. journeys mm -hmm. around their purpose. So mm -hmm. once again, thank you. Thank you for being authentic and thank you for sharing that. Let's go. <laughs> I'm glad I'm different. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd also like to speak a little bit about your speaking journey. So mm -hmm. you had a severe speech impediment as a kid. Yes. Yet you became a really, really good public speaker, mm -hmm. really sought after public speaker. Mm -hmm. You've done four TEDx talks already. Mm -hmm. Walk me through that evolution. Yes. How did you do it? Yeah, always a confident kid. I definitely don't feel like growing up, I was introverted. I think I'm actually becoming more introverted every year I grow up. <laughs> That's um, the thing, by the way. It's good. I like it. And I always felt like every time I was growing up, I'd always need other people around me to be energetic and not bored. But now I feel like even if I was left on my own vices, I could figure out what to do with my day and feel very happy about it. But um, in terms of growing up, when I was in grade seven, I kind of realized like, okay, you know, I have a pretty bad speech impediment and I had a really hard time saying S's and R's. I still have a you know tough time. I still have a lisp, but like I felt like I couldn't even say my own name. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And that was very embarrassing, you know, and like, you have substitute teachers that would come into your school and they'd you know, go through the checklist and they wouldn't know your name and they'd ask you to pronounce it and <laughs> I couldn't pronounce it and I'd look around and my friends would chuckle and they weren't being mean, but kids are kids, right? Like, it's funny, it's different. And so my mom put me into therapy classes, like speech therapy classes. And I did like three weeks of them until I'm like, I can't do these. These are so annoying. A, they're like way too early in the morning, but B, I felt like the therapist was kind of making me feel like I had a problem and I didn't feel like that. I had like always like really good ideas in my head. I feel like that was more important, like what I wanted to say, not how I said it. Mm. And so that was kind of the mantra that I built for myself. It's like, I'm going to just put myself in the most uncomfortable positions possible. I joined debate. My brother at the time had just won the world championship wow. in high school in grade 12. I was in grade seven at the time. And I set a goal for myself. I'm like, I'm going to get to the world stage as well. And grade 10, I joined Team Canada for debate. I sadly never won. I came second, which is probably the worst thing. I wish I came no, third. No, it's not. Oh, like, on, it's better on. to come third than second, in my <laughs> opinion. Like, if you're that close to winning, you should just win. But I lost to Singapore, which is where I'm born. So it's kind of sad to lose to your home country, in my home country, on the 50th anniversary 
a Singapore South. Wow, you remember well. <laughs> oh, it is imprinted in my mind, Etched literally. in your brain. That moment, because I, I cried. I actually oh. went to the bathroom and I found out, with my brother actually, he was my coach for that year, and I remember just hugging him and crying because I like put so much effort into debating and wanting to win. But it's good. I'm actually glad I didn't because it just teaches you like sometimes when you really want something, it doesn't work out. But mm. how do you like pick yourself up, move on and keep going? It's a big, big lesson I learned from that. Mm. But at the same time, with speaking, I realized I have good ideas. If I just stick to those ideas and share what I know, either through my hypotheses or through my experience, I'll be fine. And the biggest thing I like about my public speaking is it might not be like Barack Obama-esque, like really beautiful to listen to but i am authentic because i don't shy away from being myself so when it comes to like making jokes i'm a little bit awkward sometimes i laugh like a hyena i've been told <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like there's just stuff like that that i just don't drift away from and again like i only talk about things i know about if i don't know the answer to a question i'll just tell you up front like i'm sorry i don't know but here's what i think mm. you know and i think that's refreshing for people to hear definitely yep. if you have that authenticity that's almost a currency these yeah. days yeah it's yeah. very attractive that's the most important thing that i pride myself with when it comes to public speaking mm. yeah. i think that's the reason why it's so attractive is because it gives the keys to freedom for yeah. the people yes. so you kind of show them that it is okay to be you and that's yes. very liberating a hundred percent when i'm speaking at an event and people come up to me after to like ask me a question or whatever i interact with them so much better it's almost like i'm a friend mm. as opposed to just being like a i've been at events where I, i've seen speakers and they have like a godlike figure you know because they're like elevated stage they're coming out to do like a book signing or to talk to people and it kind of feels like you're talking down to them because mm. you're giving advice to them and like as if you're better than them and again this is not criticizing other speakers mm -hmm. everyone can do what they want but like for me i just want to be on like that level playing field again i have some things i figured out in life i have a lot of things i haven't there are things i can learn from you there are things that hopefully i can teach you but we're just going to have a combo even if it's off camera or yeah. off stage yeah yeah, yeah 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 definitely and another thing that transpires from what you just said is answering also that question is you took action okay you had a yeah. problem like you had a problem you had a challenge it was a challenge for sure an obstacle yeah and you just okay what can i do about this yeah this 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 and you did and it wasn't easy right like in grade eight i think i was in a debate tournament and there was a parent judge who was like swish you're a great debater great ideas cannot wait for you to get your retainer taken out and i don't have a retainer and i was just <laughs> I was like, oh, 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 okay. And like, you know, like I went home and I told my mom about it and I wasn't very happy, obviously, but there are like moments like that, right? And good and bad. So I feel like just getting through that, again, taught me a lot about who I was. I'm very nonchalant when it comes to public speaking. I'm not like very, you know, I need to wear a suit. Like I think the last time I wore a suit was probably in grade 12 for my debate competition in Singapore, but last I don't- Last time ever. Ever, literally. <laughs> I mean, I think weddings and stuff. But at the same time, the reason I don't wear a suit actually when I speak is because I- feel like an imposter like mm. i'm not authentic to who i am i mm. wear what i feel comfortable wearing and what i feel comfortable wearing typically are like hoodies and rings and watches and things that professional speakers might not want to wear mm. so this makes me think about the talk that you gave on ted four years ago about yeah. brand building yeah yeah i was funny i wore like a t-shirt i wore a hat too i was like i didn't even know they allowed me to do that but like i just came up and just i felt like i like sprayed like a wrap on like people for 15, 16 minutes. That was my favorite talk for sure. Like that was just funny because like people coming after were like, I have never seen a TED talk like that. And I'm like, let's Which go. Which is fantastic. I love that. Yeah, that's my whole goal. Yeah, yeah. that's one way to, to you know, stick yeah. in people's memory. Totally. But you gave some really good advice about mm. brand building and about mm -hmm. communicating your whole ethos. So mm -hmm. that really kind of ties within that because that's yeah. you yeah. and you're communicating that. Yeah. So you don't need to work hard yeah. to communicate your brand. You just live it. You live your brand. Exactly. I love that. Mm. Yeah, well put. So is there any update to that talk that you'd like to give us on this topic? I mean, there's so many different platforms now. I think like TikTok wasn't really a thing when I gave that talk. It was called Musical.ly at the time, but I think TikTok is such a great place for content creators. I mean, this whole creator economy wasn't even a thing, right? People mm -hmm. like, if you were a creator, it's like you were different. Now it's like, if you're a creator, it's like, oh, like you have a full-time job and you have a podcast, great. Or you have a full-time job and you're like Twitch and like streaming on Twitch, gaming, cool. It's encouraged. And mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing that like more and more. So I think the one advice that stays true is community is everything. And engaging with your community, especially early on, is so important. How do you create it from scratch? You have to be intentional. Like on LinkedIn, for example, where I definitely have my biggest following, I grew a big following on LinkedIn because I went in my comment section and replied to every single person. I still do that. Like I find time to literally in an Uber or before a flight or before I go to bed, 
look at my comments and get back to every single person. I guess you need to make engaging, first of all, you need some following for yeah. people to comment on you. Typically when people comment and like I would reply, people would just reply with like a hand emoji or like a fire emoji or yeah. like a thanks. Like that's fine for some comments, but like if somebody took time out of your day to like go and leave a paragraph, yeah. you should be writing a paragraph 100%. back. Give them like a full spiel on like what they want to know or kind of what they talked about and then follow up with them. If you find that even one person comments on your post that's super interesting, get on a five minute call with them. Even if you do a five minute call with them, the next time they see your content, they're gonna be like, I actually know Swish. Super fun. He knows me, I know him. Exactly, you're building advocates. You're not just building followers. And you really, again, this whole mantra around advocates is cool because like you only need like a hundred of them. I'm saying only, I mean, it's really tough yeah. to get a hundred people who think about you every day. But if you have a hundred people who do that, you're building a very big and successful brand, guaranteed. A lot of people can't get to that point because they don't reach out and engage with people as a human being. They reach out to people like an avatar. I guess you need to produce as well content that's engaging or yeah. relevant enough for yeah. whoever's watching it totally, for them totally. to want to leave yeah, that yeah, paragraph yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I think recently I had somebody that uh, commented on one mm -hmm. of the reels and they yeah. you know, had like a whole question. Like, nice. Above. And yeah. obviously, like, I think the same instinctively, I just think if there's a, a real person that has actually took their time to, I mean, that's, it's just rude not yeah. to, right? It's rude not to. It's rude to also just Common like sense. it and just like not comment back. It's rude to, I, I find emojis to be one of the worst ways to comment back to people who are thoughtful. Yeah, for sure. Like, well, I mean, if somebody leaves that. an emoji, yeah, that's fine. Like, like whatever, it, yeah, like, like it, whatever. That's cool. But like, if somebody again leaves a paragraph or they actually like give a thought-provoking question, and you're just so like, rude to just like, like, <laughs> like um, I don't know. I, that would just be weird. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, definitely. Agree. <laughs> so, would you say which platforms are you looking at right now that mm. you think could be the next? LinkedIn still has such an opportunity. I was doing research actually like a month ago and I found that there's 80 million monthly active users in North America. I don't know about Europe, 80 million mm. monthly active on LinkedIn. Guess what percentage of those 80 million people post every day? 5%? Less than 1%. Oh my guess how many of them post weekly? I don't know. <laughs> Less than 2%. And guess how many of them post monthly? Less than 5%. So it's like, there is such a white space on LinkedIn. Still. Most people don't even know you can post on LinkedIn. <laughs> they think it's the second resume, which yes, it used to be that. But now it's a content creation platform, I think, for you to share what 80% of your life is, which is work. Oh my days. In an honest way, which is the key word, honest way. Don't just share the wins, share the losses, share the tribulations, share the obstacles, share the moments that you woke up late and didn't want to get out of bed. Share those moments. If you can, I know everybody might not feel comfortable to do that. And if you don't interview people then. Okay. This is it. Even this morning I was debating with one of my guests because yeah. I have not updated my, my LinkedIn. You're doing like, it. You're doing dinosaur. it. I'm doing it today. Yeah. Okay. Done. Yeah. Done. Done. Contract is. I'm holding, I'm holding you accountable. I'm holding you accountable. There we go. So LinkedIn. And then I definitely like Instagram still. I think Twitter is just weird. I find it too crowded and too noisy. Like, come it's just on. a lot of work. Yeah. I don't know. I, like also just like when I come on a platform, I already have so many things in my head. I don't want to have even more. And I find like when I go on Twitter, I'm just like bombarded with voices. Mm -hmm. So I find that to be too crowded. I think TikTok is interesting. I wish that I posted on TikTok in 2016. And I had a, actually a Musical.ly account. I'm not trying to be pompous, but like, I actually think I'm a decent dancer. I grew up dancing and I wish I did it, but I never felt like it Some was on brand. Some dancing videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cut to, cut to, <laughs> cut to switch dancing right now. I always felt like it wasn't on brand to be a CEO at that time and be a dancer. Now I'm like, that was so stupid. I should have done it. I think I, I still can, but I, yeah, I'm a bit nervous. I'm a bit shy to dance. How about this? Yeah. I go on LinkedIn, yeah, I, you I go on share, TikTok. I share my dance video. I think that might be the move. Deal. <laughs> I'm holding you accountable. Okay. You hold me accountable. This is a big day. I'm making stuff happen. Honestly, a year if I become like a dancing celebrity, I'm going to credit you. Done. And if you become a LinkedIn influencer, which I think you might, I mean, the okay. content here is always incredible. Listen, let's, let's do this. Done. 2023 is the year of- Your first post on LinkedIn could actually be this clip. We could take a clip of this and just share why LinkedIn is so important to post on. Boom. Guys. <laughs> Done. If you're watching this, go check her post out right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no. You're, he's not kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's definitely not kidding. <laughs> Do it. I would like to ask you, mm -hmm. what mistakes have you made along the way that have taught you the most? I mean, obviously, like, ones I mentioned before were health-related, mm -hmm. like, just not taking it seriously. I think beyond that, management, obviously, like, I'm the center of the universe. All my ideas are, got like, the gospel. Treat them like the gospel. If you have an opinion, it doesn't matter as much as mine. That was a very bad mindset to have. But again, like, a lot of people in their early 20s, I think, have that. And then 
I would say probably most recently, the mistake I've made, I think not having a hobby until I found music. Why was that bad? Because it doesn't allow you to be competitive outside of work. Maybe it's like a character type, but like I need to be competitive outside of work to just feel motivated. Like I need something outside of my work to fulfill me and make me feel like I'm striving and moving and improving towards something. I'm like, yeah, you know, on the health side, it's great, but I'm not going to be a runner. <laughs> like, you know, some people are very content with that. But for me, like, if I go into something and make it a big priority, I really want to do it at the highest level. Going back to Jonah, right? So I had that with surf. I definitely felt like I had that with speaking with the podcast. I'm obviously super excited about it coming out. And it's very different, hopefully, from a lot of podcasts that are out there for racing. But with music, it was cool because this was something I was a total novice at. I had no experience. There was no public speaking I could use for music. There was no connections and stuff that I could get for music. I didn't even know what chord progression was. I didn't know what the software I was using called Logic Pro was. I didn't know how to play the piano. I didn't know how to DJ, but I had to figure it all out. You know, whether it was by talking to people, I have a coach now who I meet with weekly, whether it was YouTube videos, whether it was just making really bad music, which I still think I'm doing. But I like it because every song is getting a little bit less bad, <laughs> if that makes sense. That is really cool to have in your life. It's some sort of hobby that gives you that competitive fire, but it's kind of more personal. Yeah, yeah. and it's also just putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And even, I think, obviously, yeah. not any sort of neuroscience or, mm -hmm. or anything, but yeah. I just think the way that your brain lights mm -hmm. up when you start trying new things that you've never tried before... I'm sure there's benefits to the profession that you're doing, whatever you're doing at the moment. It yeah. just it gets the creative juices flowing. And to be fair, like human beings are naturally, in my opinion, driven by progress. If you're not making progress towards something, you always typically will lose motivation at some point. And that's where it's like for my work with surf, it's not like every day I roll into the office and we're like another big win. <laughs> no, like I typically have maybe like one big win a year or two big wins a year. Right. And for me, like my role is mainly fundraising. We're not fundraising every day, thank God, Jesus. Um, <laughs> if I have a round, for example, that I need to announce, like a fundraising round, I'm typically only doing that like once a year so, or like once every two years. Mm. So for me, I need to find wins in other places. That's where having music is great because I can see a, a win every day there mm. because I suck so bad. <laughs> and like I'm working from like the very bottom and trying to get a bit better. And that's incredible. That is incredible. You know? So I, I find that to also be nice. That like you kind of go to bed thinking about, hey, what did I accomplish? What were my wins today? The small wins even. And like, yeah, there's some small wins on the surf side. But for the most part, the big wins are typically on like stuff that I'm really bad at. Because the progress I'm making every day is far more. That's really valuable. Yeah. I'll be taking this to consideration. LinkedIn. Yes. Oh, that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking further already. I'm oh, thinking further. Yeah, yeah. I love what it. Hobbies? I love what it. Hobbies? Yeah. Okay, we shall brainstorm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're also a big advocate on mental health. Yeah. I want to ask you, is that coming from a place where you personally went through something mm -hmm. or somebody close to you did? Mm -hmm. Or where is that importance coming from? Before October 2021, I definitely was coming from a place of like just friends, family members, people I'd seen. Again, it's not saying like I wasn't immune because I, you know, one of the biggest things I talk about when it comes to mental health is that everybody has it. It exists on a spectrum, right? Like you're kind of fluctuating every day on it. And yeah, the extremes can be like extreme happiness and extreme sadness, but you're typically like in the middle and then you're kind of swaying depending on the weather and depending on how your day is going, etc. So for me, I definitely felt like I fluctuated, you know, at dramatic points throughout, but probably the most dramatic point was October, 2021, when I had that panic attack and I, you know, had to really hit the hard reset button there. So for me, I talk about it now, not only as like, hey, I've gone through this, but I also talk about it in the sense of like, I've gone through it, here is my personal experience with it, and here's what I've learned about it. And I never lead with a solution, because for me, I don't necessarily feel like there is ever a solution to a mental health problem. And that might be controversial to say, I don't know, but for me, when it comes to anxiety, especially when it comes to feeling panic attacks, you need to just learn to live with it. You cannot feel like there's a band-aid solution. There is no solution to it you will have to exist and live with it. And the best part about that now is if you equip yourself, you will know how to deal with it the next time. You will realize that for me, like one of my biggest things with having a mantra, I have a mantra now. When I feel even a little bit anxious, I say the mantra, I remind myself of the mantra and it just helps focus me, helps me be breathe properly. It helps me feel normal. It's currently, by the way, like watching this and you're like going through a mental health illness, obviously getting a therapist, getting it checked out, always a great thing to do. But beyond that, learning to live with it 
and learning to treat it as a strength could be very empowering and it definitely is for me mm, as a strength oh yeah like for me anxiety is great as a strength because like i use it to fuel myself if i feel anxious it means that i'm not treating my body right like you said it's a reminder yeah right and it's like the best alarm clock to have <laughs> yeah. and hopefully i don't feel it too often because i'm proactively helping myself out but again sometimes when i'm feeling anxious i'm like okay maybe i'm taking on way too much maybe i'm too stressed maybe i didn't go out for my run today maybe i need to get some fresh air and i go and do that Mm. Yeah. yeah this is something that we spoke about briefly mm -hmm. off camera as well yeah about the nervousness that you get before you go on stage when you yes. give the yeah. speeches so yeah. obviously that's stress that's yeah. anxiety yeah but i guess do you just reframe it psychologically into an excitement mm. or do you then with something somehow you yeah. transform it into that energy that then you you're able to channel yeah. consciously if it's the second then how do you it's tougher to do the second always. I think like sometimes you might be able to channel kind of your anxiety or your nervousness into like performance or into something that like really makes you like fuels you. Typically, would what, that be the mantra that helps you? Or? The mantra helps focus me. It mm -hmm. helps kind of center me because typically with anxiety, like you're kind of going to feel like loss of breath. You're going to feel like, holy crap, I'm getting like cold sweats. You're going to feel hot. You're going to feel kind of out of control. Like you're not going to feel like you are in control of your body or mind. And that's where like having a mantra helps, touching something, touching like different things, smelling different things. It makes you feel centered again. Mm -hmm. Like your mind is truly dictating your body. That's always a good thing. So I've done small things like that and they've helped. I've definitely done therapy as well. And I found therapy to actually be great because it's always nice to talk to somebody and not even to just get a solution, but just to share, right? Like just to talk about this, because again, like, do we talk about this every day? No. And do I wish we did? Yes, because like we should live in a society where this type of stuff is accepted. Everybody goes through it at some point, mm. right? Like, and you know, you might not even think you're depressed and some people are depressed. You might not even think that you're going through an anxiety attack and you might have already gone through one. You might be nervous and think that, oh, it was just a little bit of a nervous bug. And it's like, no, that could be anxiety. And you don't need to have chronic anxiety to empathize again with mental health. So why aren't we all having conversations with our friends and family members in a more honest way, weekly, monthly, daily, if possible? Mm. So I find that that is why I enjoy therapy, but I stopped therapy because I started realizing that I just should have this combo with more people. Mm -hmm. So like my friends, my family, and I'm very open. So we talk about it every day, but like, I'm very open to have that combo with them. And if I feel anxious, I'm super honest to them. Like literally it's like, oh, how was your night? Oh yeah. Woke up at 5am. I was super anxious. And they're like, oh man, like what'd you do then? And like, we talk about it. That's great. And that makes it normal. It's a normal. Yeah. It's just a part of life. That's so true. You just made me remember, you know, a couple of times, maybe in the past months where there were those days and I yeah. felt like so bad yeah. and like so down. And I have these two friends and my sister, maybe that I feel comfortable talking about these things. But even then I sometimes hesitate yeah. and like, I shouldn't feel this way. It's a bit embarrassing, but like, you yeah. know, because yeah. on the outside people would think like, you know, everything's going for you. Like, what, yeah. what do you have to be? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get yeah. a grip. Totally, you know? totally. But sometimes you just have those days and yeah. it's so important to have those people. And yeah. I feel lucky that yeah. I have those couple of people that yeah. I feel like I can go to yeah. and even send a voice note. Yes. Just even saying it. Yes. Like putting it out there. Get something off your chest. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It already yeah. release it, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But people that don't have that, that's tough. It's tough. And like, I think one thing I really appreciate about what you said is when people feel this way, they also are like, why am I feeling this way? And they are like, whoa, this is wrong. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And that's fine. Like you're feeling this way because you're a human being <laughs> and it's normal. But the worst thing you could do is beat yourself up for it because it makes it worse. It's a vicious cycle. Don't go down that vicious cycle. So I love that you mentioned that because for me, like it comes down to accepting it and then just loving that it's a part of your life. Exactly. Embracing and it instead of trying to exactly push down the cork, down the bottle, like exactly. even more down. Exactly. And you know, if it becomes something worse and then you'll get it treated, right? Like, and it will remind you to go and get it treated. But like just being observant is obviously important and getting treated is important. But like, if you're going through something, talking about it, acknowledging it, accepting it, probably the best starting thing you could do there. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate this stuff, definitely. Yeah. If you had to pinpoint three really important lessons that you've mm -hmm. picked up over the years, I know mm -hmm. we've touched upon so many yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Start a LinkedIn account. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you had to yeah. pick some for yourself, three important ones. Um, I think, well, number one, I definitely think, just kind of leading off what we just talked about, I definitely think mental health is incredibly important, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Protect your mental health, protect your time, Make sure that you always set me time for yourself during a day, during a week to go for a walk, 
to play music, to do things that make you competitive or things outside of work. I think secondly, your network is your net worth. I definitely think it's like a good adage. Like I know it's been said a lot, but I do believe in it. Like all the opportunities that I've gotten within my business, whether it's customers, advisors, investors, team members, whether it was within speaking or our book deal or even the podcast, social media, investing, whatever it is, has come through a network. It has not just been me. It has been countless people, whether it's team members, whether it's mentors, whether it's just people I'm connected with on social media that I've never met, but they've come out of their way to help me and provide an intro that has always helped me in my career. So I do think that protecting your network is great. What do you mean by that? I think what that means is like a lot of people are good at growing their network in the sense of like they go to meetups, they do a podcast, they interview people, which I think, by the way, is the number one way to grow your network is just talk to people and share their story. People love that, but they don't do a good job of maintaining and protecting that network. So following up with people, saw this really awesome news about you or saw this article that I think you'd really like to read. It's super linked to what you're doing. Check it out. That's the type of stuff that makes people feel. We don't do that. We don't do them. Put them. But again, if you need to build a habit, feel free to put it in your calendar initially. Mm. Follow up with Megan. Follow up with Brad. Put it at the end of the month, every month. And over time, you won't even need the calendar invite because you're not just going to be thinking in that mindset. Every time you have a combo, every time you read an article, you're going to be thinking like, who do I think could actually benefit from this? And you're going to start just weaving your network and managing it in a way that was very passive. Like it's not even work. It's just like something you already do. Yeah. So it's part of your identity. Yeah. So that's very important. And I think the final lesson would definitely be that beyond anything else, you don't need to have your life figured out at any particular age. And for me, this is very important for me to hear as a very ambitious kid, 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 year old, like I had milestones written down and then I realized it's such BS. I have goals for sure. I don't set goals typically more than one year out because who knows where I am next year, but I try as much as possible to make those goals balanced and measurable. Mm -hmm. They're not just like, do this. It's like, let's try to look at how to get there and put that in concrete steps that I can now create goals around. And that is great because you're not creating this unrealistic expectation of who you need to be and then just adding more pressure and stress to your life. You don't need to be a 20-year-old college dropout who becomes a billionaire on your first business idea. You don't need to be a podcast host that has a top 10 podcast in the world to have impact. You can have 50 listeners that love your podcast, that genuinely find so much value from it, that listen to it every morning on the tube, on a walk, And that is impactful and incredible. Setting those expectations for yourself, but then more importantly, not holding yourself to like an age to get things done and not holding yourself to having everything figured out quickly is a great way to live your life. Amen to that. Yeah. And there are two specific points that I want to touch upon. One was you mentioned about goals. It's so true that you can't just set goals and then leave them there and magically hope that they will Oh, I'm going to be Prime Minister by 30. It's like... Okay. And that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, no, but even if it's a silly one, I don't know, like yeah. read 30 books this year, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, you actually need to yeah. find it out. What yeah. does that mean for like, a month? Per How month. much do I need yeah. to read? What yeah. does that mean for a day? How much yeah. time do I need to allocate? What time yeah. will I allocate that time? Do you know Lex Friedman by chance? No. Oh, Lex Friedman is a really cool podcast host. He used to be an engineer at MIT, a Soviet engineer. He is one of my favorite podcasts. He's blowing up now because I think Joe Rogan and him are best friends. And I think he just passed a million subscribers on YouTube. But the cool thing about him is like he tweeted out at the start of the year, like, I'm going to read 30 books a year. And he actually showed every month what books he's reading. And it's kind of cool to see, like, he's going to hold himself to that. I think a couple months, I'm like, I don't know if you could read Dune in two days. <laughs> it's a very big book. But, you know, if he doesn't, yeah, great. probably watched it, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, well, we watch it. Of exactly. But, like, I'm like, that's a very big book. But at the same time, I like that, like, it wasn't just like, I'm going to read more books. It's like, okay, I have a plan and I'm sharing this plan out in the universe because I want people to hold me accountable to it. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So true. Although, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, Dune is one of those incredibly engaging books. When I was a, a kid, I was reading yeah. Harry Potter's, like, yeah. pretty, <laughs> pretty much in, like, 24-hour window. 24-hour window? Not sleeping. Oh. Okay. I wasn't sleeping. Okay, okay, yeah, That's yeah. how we I was about to say, I'm like, I don't think I can Die read. hard fine. I can, I'm very bad at reading. I'm very bad. I'm like a reader where like, I need to take notes while I'm reading because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'll forget or I, I have ideas and I need to think about them and put them down on paper before I move on to the next chapter. But that doesn't happen with fiction. That's the thing. True. With fiction, yeah. you just... You do that. You, yeah. You read. You immerse yourself. No, that's true. That's true. I think I maybe have to give Dune another chance because I think I read 50 pages and I got really tired and bored. 
No offense. I like the movie a lot. Mm. And I love the premise of the entire universe. But I, I need to give another shot. But I just like looking at the size of that book, I'm like, I don't even know how Lexi's going to read it in two days. But if he does it, incredible. Maybe you can do like a live stream. I think that would be awesome. Okay, hey, like a Twitch it. stream or reading a book together, like a book club. Oh, that's a good nice. idea. Someone should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Many, many ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good that we're doing this. Now I know, right? So we have a whole year. A whole year, time. exactly. I love that. Accountability episode coming. Yeah. Be <laughs> like, uh, did you create your LinkedIn account? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, it, it better, guys. I need help now. It needs like it needs some uh, advocates. Yeah, yep. one year from now I'll be uh, dancing with stars, and it's going to be unbelievable. Perfect. I'll be fine. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll be giving interviews, and I'll be saying, you know, Dana told me she was like, you need to be a dancer. And she was right. She's right. <laughs> Here I am, and then yeah. pirouette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Swish. I like to end my podcast with a wonderful question. Mm which I like to know the answers to. Yeah, my name is Swish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my real name. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what is your recipe for happiness? Family, above everything else, always brings me like the most happiness. My brother, his wife, their dog, Bodie, my mother, kind of like the most important people in my life. So that is number one, holding them dear, reaching out to them every day, talking to them even for five minutes. I love doing that. Working on projects that allow my curiosity to run wild and feel like a kid again. I love doing that with people that I love as well, who I appreciate. They, they're very talented in their own respect. I can learn a lot from them. They're providing their time off their life to me because they want to make that project their life's work is gratifying. And that's another very kind of big source of happiness for me. And then finally, being an amateur at something, you know, at least recently with music, like I mentioned, that has brought me so much happiness, feeling like a beginner again. And I felt like, you know, yeah, like with speaking and with, you know, entrepreneurship now, it's been a couple of years. Like, I'm not definitely a beginner. I'm definitely not an expert, but I, I feel qualified. Mm -hmm. But with something like music where you just start over again, it's awesome. It's frustrating. Don't get me wrong. Like, I want to make this. It's in my head, but I can't make it. It's the worst feeling. But just that challenge and then getting progressively better, even if it's like small amounts every day, mm -hmm. that brings me a lot of happiness too. Small ones. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I think I can say that this probably has been my favorite episode so Aww. far. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and share it with someone. I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions as to what guests you 